The following podcast is a live recording of a radio show first broadcast by Fresh FM with assistance from New Zealand On Air. Fresh FM is a community access media station based in Te Tauihu, the top of the South Island, New Zealand. If you or your group would like to know more about how you can have a program on our station, please contact us. Visit our website freshfm.net for our contact details. Welcome to For the Love of Wine on Fresh FM. I'm your host, Kirsten Rodsgaard. Today I'm joined by Jim Jerram from Osla Wine. Big warm welcome to you, Jim. Thank you, Kirsten. It's lovely to be able to talk to you. Yeah, fantastic. And and now, where to begin with you, but maybe we'll start with the fact that after 20 plus years of owning and managing Osla Wine in the Waitaki Valley, you have sold your business. How does that feel? Well, it's a, it's a bittersweet uh, result. We're very grateful to the Lindis Group uh, ACG Wines uh, having uh, um, rescued us from a difficult, perilous position last year. Mm-hmm. Um, we're sad not to be continuing uh, an escalating um, success with uh, us as a wine destination. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but some of the, the, the lovely wines will continue as uh, our legacy with ACG. So Fantastic! Yeah. It's not all bad. No, we've got well, one more one more month to go. Yeah, uh, selling wines and then we're finished. Yeah, but will people still be able to contact you and buy some of maybe your library stock or something? Not really. Not um, really. Okay. We're 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 selling out. We're going to drink the library stock. Oh wow! Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> it's in, in our dotage, but there's not going to be that much. No. So okay. the last this this last few weeks is the time now. We're about to do some promotions. Great. Good. And where can people get a hold of you? Through your website? Through, through the website. Yeah, mm. which is? Mm. Uh, it's it's nz. Great. All right. We've got that sorted. Now, will you not have any involvement at all with the new owners and the way they do um, their um, Doesn't appear so. Okay. No worries. Um, we're available for consultation should they desire, but they seem to be very well organized. Great. And, and what other wineries do they own? Um, I believe that they have other, they've had other interests in New Zealand, but um, uh, they are involved in um, Yarra Yearing, mm-hmm. uh, which was the Australian winery of the year last year. Yep, Mornington Peninsula, uh, isn't it? Yeah, uh, no, up in the up in the Yarra Valley, I believe. Oh, Northern, yeah, 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 right. North of Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Mm, very high end. Yeah, yeah. No, I've been there. It's a lovely place. Okay. Mm. Well, let's concentrate on Oslo because it is in the uh, Waitaki Valley, which is a sub-region in North Otago, and you were a pioneer when it comes to planting vines and making wine there. How did it all begin back in the late 1990s? Well, could I get on to that? But yes. I can just describe we're actually not a sub-region. We are our own uh, geographical indicator. Okay. So it, uh, our full our full description is Waitaki Valley, North Otago. Good, thank you. Um, and 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 we were pioneers here. Yeah. Um, along with uh, one other, uh, in the early millennium, we um, we we came here. Um, actually, in the late nineties, I had met my now brother-in-law, mm-hmm. Jeff Sinnott, mm-hmm. who is one of New Zealand's great winemakers. Yeah. And he at the time was working for Isabella Estate in Marlborough. Mm-hmm. And he came down to see who his sister had got together when I was running the student health service in 
Tago University. Yeah. And and um, said, take me to the Waitaki Valley. He said, there's limestone there, and I want to do Burgundian-style Pinot Noir on limestone. Mm-hmm. And that's what we did, and that's what we pioneered. Um, but to, that's the short story. But the long story was that we came up here the weekend. He came to, to meet me uh, and from Dunedin, and we looked around, and we found this wonderful site that has become now known uh, slightly pretentiously as Clo Osler mm-hmm. uh, because it's a little enclosure with a rock wall just like in Burgundy with mm-hmm. limestone rocks, uh, but a very special site some 50 kilometres inland from, from Amaru. Uh, uh, we went looking for limestone. There's actually, there are bands of it sort of coming inland from Amaru, and, of course, the, uh, it's the origin of Amaru stone is, is further down the way. Um, but there isn't a lot of limestone up where we are, towards Kurao. Um, but we found this wonderful site overlooking the valley on an escarpment. There was... Uh, a hole in the, in the in the lucerne paddock that we we found on the slope uh, where they had looked for agricultural lime in the 1960s mm-hmm. without success it wasn't quite the right mix but it gave us this lovely soil profile from their excavations and uh, that's what uh, got Jeff very excited and led to us trying to do some due diligence for a couple of years, um, trying to get some climatic uh, data, there wasn't much, and we drew a um, model from the existing Niwa um, data, Kurao and Omaru, and um, up on the north bank of the Waitaki. And we came up with some figures and uh, a projection for the heat units, which were actually turned out to be wildly optimistic, mm-hmm. <laughs> but but we went ahead of it anyway. You and, did it um, anyway, yeah. And and it's interesting that with climate change, uh, having gone from a very marginal site, really climatically, um, it is certainly seems to be working in our favour. And twenty years now, and over the last ten years, we have seen vintage get earlier and earlier every year. Mm-hmm. As everywhere. Yeah. As everywhere. Yeah. But uh, you mentioned it yourself a minute ago that, you know, you worked in health and actually you are a trained GP. And so I'm wondering, back then, 20 plus years ago, what was that sudden interest in establishing a winery? You know, even though your your um, um, brother-in-law, Jeff, um, was keen to do something. But still, there's quite a jump from um, looking after patients to um, making wine. Well, some people might call it impulsive, Kirsten. <laughs> But uh, actually, um, I was a great imbiber of wine, um, and but never with much uh, in, a thought or intellect, really. And I, when I went to Dunedin, I'd been a GP in Nelson. When I went to Dunedin in, in, uh, in 1995, I met up with a group of people who were involved with um, um, wine options the competition that there was a national competition looking at blind tasting um, in groups and um, one of these people was in the Forsyth Bar team that had won the New Zealand uh, wine options competition two years in a row mm-hmm. and so I, I got together with these people and we started and they, they took me into their fold and on Friday nights we started going home with um, we started going to someone's place uh, with a theme or, you know, a, a, a vintage or a 
variety or or such a fun uh, way to learn about wine. I try to yeah. encourage people to do that. I'm I'm a member of a club similar, uh, similarly. So it's so much fun. And I started learning that there was a whole lot more to this than than I knew about. And of course, there's a massive world of wine. Mm-hmm. But but um, I hardly knew what a Pinot Noir was then, to be honest. And um, when I met Jeff, he said uh, it would take me to the Waitaki Valley because we need. He was very keen to do Pinot Noir on limestone and and a, and a Burgundian um, take on 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 new world Pinot. Yeah, and, so, that's, so, and that's what we did. Yeah, exactly. So, so t- talk me through that journey from planting the first vines till actually making the first um, bottle of wine. So so we planted in two thousand and two the first two hectares. Um, and we harvested the first experimental crop only two years later, two leaves later, as they say, two seasons. Mm-hmm. And and it was too early really to be taking fruit. But interestingly, we, we, we got off a couple of tons and and Jeff took them away to where he was by then working at Amersfield. Mm-hmm. And he, he turned them into a beautiful wine, which got us very excited from the start because there was a... Um, um, a more savoury um, we'd like to think that there were some totally different aspects and styles to the wine, to Central Otago wines which were just becoming known at that time and we got these uh, this, this, this beautiful, quite light obviously with two year old vines but but distinctively um, savoury and We'd like to think of more of a continental style than the big fruity wines that we were tasting from New Zealand at that stage. Mm-hmm. But um, that was your goal anyway, wasn't it? To, that was to the go goal. In that direction, yeah. And, yes, and it's, it's um, Central Otago makes beautiful wines, uh, and they've certainly evolved a lot as well. But uh, just stylistically, we were looking at a different terroir, and um, and it has remained so, and it has become quite well known for that distinction. Yeah. So how long did you continue being a GP um, uh, before you actually ventured into being a full-blown vigneron and vintner? Good question. I mean, in the end, I didn't have enough time to be a doctor and uh, run a health service as I was uh, and give it justice. And I thought, well, you can't do both. Um, I'd had some experience um, farming when I was a medical student in the high country of Otago. Mm-hmm. And um, I was a, probably a wannabe farmer. I had some practical skills, and then we had Jeff's guidance. His, his degree from Roseworthy College um, was pr- particularly in viticulture. So we weren't going blind. Jeff was always there to um, guide me and, and to to uh, give us advice on on the best way to do things. And we were very lucky because of that, that we didn't make a lot of mistakes in terms of how we set things up and, and, and the, the particular clones of Pinot Noir and, and the rootstock that we chose. Yeah. So that was lucky. Well, mm-hmm. it wasn't lucky. It was it was Jeff's knowledge and skill. Yeah. And um, your wife, Anne, how was she involved in the business? So she was a good sort. We got married the, 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 uh, the, the week that we first planted the vines in 2002. We got married over in Dante's Pass Hotel. Wow. And a lot of a lot of the guests a lot of the guests at our wedding came and and helped us plant. But Anne was a very good sort in that she was prepared, having just thought that life was going to be relatively uh, stable with a with a uh, 
a doctor in Dunedin, mm-hmm. um, I really wanted to go and do this way out thing uh, in North Otago. And she backed us, and she always has, and she's been very involved in the business. She's given an awful lot of her time, and she's busy enough with her work. So, uh, so it all worked out. It's been a great journey. Yeah, and how does she feel about the, the business being sold now? Look, um, we're, I'm at an age and a stage where we had to do something, and for 10 years I've been trying to raise capital mm-hmm. uh, to go to a s- sort of scale that enabled me to do less of the jobs that I do, especially some of them not so well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still would have been involved. But in the end, I think we were very relieved to have someone want to come in and continue the legacy. Yeah. So I think I think the feeling is that it was we'd run our course. I started a bit late in life. I was in my 50s. And so there was some, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it was time to, to say goodbye. But um, we've met a lot of wonderful people along the way. And like yeah, most, and you're still like, living like, in the beautiful area of the Waikiki Valley. We are, and we've got lovely friends here. Yeah, excellent. Now, we mentioned in the beginning that you were a pioneer in the Waitaki Valley when it comes to winemaking, but you're not the only pioneer in your family. I've been reading up on you, and the name of your business, Osler, stems from William Osler, who in 1852 immigrated from Yorkshire to Aotearoa, New Zealand, to manage the Benmore Station near Omara. And you, Jim... You're actually the great-grandson of William Osler. So tell me a little bit more about that family history and why you chose the name Osler for the winery. Oh, that's a wonderful bit of serendipity. Um, when I grew up, uh, my, my mother, Audrey Osler, died in 1960. So I was a small boy and it, when she died. And I didn't know the story, really. When we traveled through the Mackenzie country occasionally, there was a strange feeling that I should know more about it, and I think my father must have mentioned, but I really wasn't aware that that only my mother's grandfather, my great-grandfather, three generations, um, um, had come out from Yorkshire, where all the Oslers came from. Now, Osler sounds, where well, you you might say Danish, Kirsten. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, because uh, it didn't dawn on me for quite a while that... They all came from the coast of Yorkshire and Lincolnshire in northeast England. And, of course, that's where the Vikings arrived in the 10th century. So if we go and, back long enough, you know, you and I yeah. might actually be related. Well, that's exactly <laughs> right. So, so uh, you know, fancied myself as a bit of a bit of a uh, wayward fellow since uh, finding that out. But Good on you, yeah. That, that, that was lovely. And, of course, York, York, the town of York was Jorvik. Um and they found that, you know, all sorts of archaeological stuff. So that was kind of fun. And then some of those Vikings were great horsemen, as we know, and they became the um, the stablemen at the inns in Old England. So although it's an old English name, of course it's not. And I imagine if you put an, uh, an umlaut over the O, it would be Erstler, mm-hmm. and that would be the people from the east. Yeah. So um, my mother was Audrey Osler. Uh, her father was uh, born in, in Mackenzie country to the the pioneer, William Osler, and he became a Supreme Court judge. And mm. my mother had grown up in Wellington. So there was no direct connection. And when we ended up coming into the Waitaki and found this spot that really was, and I found out from some of our new neighbours uh, more about the Osler story, it seemed that that was the natural uh, choice for the for the brand. How do you 
how do you create a brand? I mean, I, I was out of my depth all the way there, but that's been a fun part of the journey. Yeah, no, it sounds great. Let's get back to the wine because uh, you really did set out to uh, do some stunning different uh, Pinot Noir and um, you really have achieved that, you know. Uh, you've won numerous prestigious wine awards and the name Osler has for many years been synonymous with especially top quality Pinot. But what is it about Pinot Noir that excites you? Yeah, I mean... It's 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 a one of the most challenging grapes. We all know that it's the heartbreak grape. It's it only grows in certain sort of climatic bands, like all like all of the grapes, but particularly Pinot. It's thin skinned. Mm -hmm. It's very vulnerable to uh, the weather. It's very vulnerable to uh, um, disease pressure, fungal uh, diseases. Uh, it's quite difficult, I believe, to vinify. I'm not the winemaker, but I know that there's quite a lot that can go wrong and that that's a big part of the winemaker's, well, that's really the winemaker's brief is to steer the whole fermentation process, which is a natural process, avoiding the pitfalls that seem to occur far more with Pinot Noir than many other grapes. Mm -hmm. So there's a big challenge, but it also, it's a beautiful wine in that it's subtle, um, it's a wine of elegance, it's a wine of complexity, uh, it's certainly um, a wine that expresses its terroir, its uh, place of origin, mm -hmm. um, very clearly. And the wines from our region, from our limestone, are very difficult, very different from wines elsewhere in New Zealand. And although I don't have a great palate, we can always, I can usually identify an Oslo Carolines from the other Pinot Noirs that might be in a, in a, a flight. Yeah, exactly, because um, that was actually my next question. You know, how would you say that the Pinot Noirs from your uh, distinct region uh, differ from those of other regions? You know, where where is the the big difference? Yeah, well, these these tend not. Although we've had a few years uh, where we've had some really big Pinots, by which I mean high alcohol and a lot of extract. Mm -hmm. um, part of that is because. Climatically, we have trouble setting fruit. It's the coolness in the in December, uh, with quite a lot of maritime influence where we are, means that we don't always get a big fruit set from flowering. So, if you end up with a smaller yield as a result, you're obviously going to get more concentration, and I think that's been part of our success. But I think that the chalky minerality that the um, that the Experts talk about in terms of Carolines, uh, Carolines Pinot Noir. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of that does also come from the limestone. I don't think there's any doubt that uh, there are multiple influences, of course, with terroir, and those two are, the, in my mind, the critical parameters: is the is the cooler climate, um, the smaller yields, um, which which are changing a wee bit as as the vines get older and as the as the uh, years are getting a little bit warmer, um, but but also specifically where those roots are now down into some chalk, as in Burgundy. Mm, mm, yeah, the um, Caroline's is is your top Pinot, I believe. Uh, but you make more than than one Pinot, don't you? Or you do? Indeed, we do. We've had, actually um, ACG Wines. Um, they they bought the Caroline's. They bought they uh, cherry picked and buying. Just the Carolines, yeah. the vineyard it comes from, Clo Osler, and the brand. 
So we've had a year to sell off our other lovely um, wines as well, including the other Pinot Noir, our our estate Pinot Noir. And uh, we've still got a little bit left of that uh, 2020 estate Pinot, which has got some of the Carolines in it and which is, um, I think, a wonderful wine. Mm -hmm. Now, it's not always just been about Pinot Noir. You also uh, grew or grow um, other varietals. So so talk me through the full portfolio of, uh, of Osla. So two years after we planted in 02, Jeff said, well, we better do, we better add some white to the portfolio. And uh, we were just going to be the sort of pen and wire on limestone, cool climate specialists. But it became apparent you, we needed to have a broader brush than that. So I wanted to plant Chardonnay because that would be what you would do in Burgundy mm-hmm. uh, at the time. But Chardonnay was a little bit out of favour because it was being a bit overdone and a bit over-oaked. Hmm. A lot of people were a bit sick of, you know, it was a sort of anything but Chardonnay, ABC, Um, which you wouldn't say now. but No, thankfully uh, it's come back in fashion and there's beautiful Chardonnays in New Zealand. Absolutely, and it's it's a quest I'm on. But um, so we planted, Jeff said, look, Pinot Gris seems to be the thing that's coming and let's plant some Pinot Gris. And we got rootstock, uh, which came from Mission Estate, and I understand brought in by Archbishop Pompelier 160 years ago originally. Wow. Um, um, and we planted some of that where I, we would have planted Chardonnay and where I think that ACG may now plant, pull them out and plant Chardonnay. But that became our Audrey's Pinot Gris, made in a dry style uh, like a Chardonnay uh, with oak, quite a lot of uh, oak fermentation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that became a bit of an icon in itself, um, uh, the Audrey's uh, Pinot Gris. Mm-hmm. So that was what we did for a while, and then we got burned off with frost after three years in the spring, uh, and it was a bit of a wake-up call because we were just deciding to invest. Family members were putting in money, and we thought we would go become commercial. It had been experimental until then. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, um, so at that stage, um, Anne's father had been widowed and he was coming to live with us and he bought a bit of land up at Lake Waitaki, about 30 kilometres further inland and about 20% warmer over the season, mm. but without a great limestone influence, more grey, wacky, alluvial soil. And, and that's where we now live. And um, we planted um, uh, some Riesling and some more Pinot Gris there, some of the new clones from Alsace. And and um, subsequently, we took on another couple of vineyards that were also uh, uh, in, already planted, have been planted in the interim in the region. And so we did two Pinot Gris, so it's one stage three. We did two Pinot Noirs, uh, Riesling and some Rosé. Mm. And when did you actually go commercial, sort of full-blown? So we launched our first vintage in 05, but our first really commercial uh, vintage was 06. And since then, you've just gone from strength to strength. How was it selling uh, the wine? Was that your main job, getting the word out there that, hey, there's this guy doing this amazing wine? Uh, a friend who was a farmer in the valley who had been involved in the dairy industry um, marketing, uh, he'd been on the board of one of the um, companies that became part of Fonterra, said to me, 
marketing won't just happen overnight. You know, this will take years. Mm-hmm. And he was absolutely right. And it took quite a while. When we started, Jeff said, look, this wine is so different to Pinot Noirs that are coming out of Central Otago. He said, people won't understand it for a while, but uh, you wait. And it took an awful lot of shoe leather to be worn out around the world, mm-hmm. uh, attending an awful lot of uh, wine shows, um, putting the wine in front of a lot of uh, critics, uh, plus the friendship of a very special friend in Burgundy, Burgundy Jasper Morris, mm-hmm. who uh, is uh, like Mr. Burgundy, really. He He's the uh, Englishman who used to uh, import uh, Carolines into, into Brit- Britain. Nice. Um, and who has written all the books about Burgundy, um, inside Burgundy, and uh, reviews all the uh, awful lot of the Burgundies produced every year for the producers there. And how does he feel uh, Caroline stacks up to the um, the real Burgundians? Well, you know, he wasn't wanting to concede Oops. too much for a while, but he has, and uh, um, he played a wonderful trick on me about two years ago, two and a half years ago, we were in Burgundy just before lockdown, like in November of 19. And um, I'd, I'd taken over a, a very special vintage uh, 2016 of the Carolines. Um, and every um, he was doing all the tastings of the 2018 vintage, Burgundy vintage. He was tasting about 80 wines a day right wow. through November. And I went on a couple of these sessions with him it was way over my head but but you know he was tasting a lot of wines with the producers in their winery it was a fantastic experience and then in the evening he would come home his wife's a one abby's a wonderful chef and she'd cook up a marvelous meal and he'd go down to a cellar and start pulling out some older burgundies so he needed more wine after having tasted all the well wines. i don't know how he did it you know i couldn't do it but no but but he's a professional and he's very good at it and We'd, we'd, you know, we had. I tasted some wonderful wines. I'll never get to taste again. But, but uh, on the final night, we had a couple. Where we had a lovely Chardonnay and then a Pinot. And then he pulled out another Pinot that looked a bit dark, and he poured that. And I said, "Wow, that's Grand Cru." And then he grinned and showed me the label, and it was the Carolines 2016. Oh my god! And I god. hadn't picked it. <laughs> wow, that's a good story. Wow, I like that. So that was fun. Yeah, fantastic. So, as we established a little bit earlier, you were a pioneer in the area when it comes to wine, and a number of other wineries have since come along in this unique region of uh, New Zealand. So, um, you really paved the way. There's quite. What? Who are the others now? How many of you so are there? There was there were two or three others looking at the same time as us, and, and in fact, um, Antonio Pasquale. Uh, as an Italian based in the Bay of Islands and with a wine heritage from in Italy from where he came from. Mm-hmm. And he had planted some in the Hakataramea Valley here and then subsequently in the main valley. Um, he'd found it a bit cold. Uh, he It didn't happen, I don't think, quite quickly enough for him. Mm. Um, and he pulled out. But uh, in the meantime, John Forrest of, of, of Forest Estate in Marlborough had become involved, uh, and and Grant Taylor of Valley Wines was actually born in Kuvadal, mm-hmm. and has always uh, had a great interest here. And in fact, he's always said that he thinks his best Pinot Noirs, and he makes, as we all know, some of the best Pinot Noirs in New Zealand. He certainly does. Uh, he thinks his best ones come from the Waitaki. Mm. 
Interesting. And there are other little producers that have come along as well over the years. There are, there are you know, maybe nine or ten other small plots uh, in the valley. Um, it's never uh, expanded as much as I was hoping. Um, we were competing with the dairy industry in terms of land prices. Mm. Uh, irrigation had come to the Waitaki in a big way. Um, and, and in the time, the 20 years that we've been around, uh, going from almost no dairy farms to large numbers of them in the Waitaki. So some of the better sites that um, we had identified have actually been taken by dairy farms and, and are under pivot irrigation, which I'm, I'm a little bit sad about. But um, yeah. there you go. Mm, yeah. Uh, Clive, Clive Payton has, you know, we, we have a great friendship with Clive and Phil. And Clive uh, is a great fan of the Valley, and he said if he was starting again, and he won't be, but if he was, that he'd be in the Waitaki, especially with climate change. Yeah, and for and, listeners and who don't know who he is, he's um, um, Atarangi. At- Atarangi. Yeah, exactly, mm. from... Um, and the we, regard Rapa, them, yeah. we regard them as the doyens in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, cool. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Now, looking back, Jim, you practiced uh, medicine for 29 years as a GP, and, there, and that includes two years as a volunteer, sole-charge doctor in um, Mount Everest in Nepal for Sir Edmund Hillary's Himalayan Trust. That sounds like an incredible experience. I was very lucky to get that experience, and uh, it's still a big part of my life. Uh, a lot of responsibility yeah, uh, a lot of improvisation, um, uh, doing all sorts of procedures you wouldn't normally do um, because there was no alternative. Mm-hmm. Um, in the monsoon, there was no the, no aircraft to get in. So uh, if someone was had a particular injury or a particular illness, we just had to deal with it. Yeah. So that was uh, a, a very special experience. Absolutely. So comparing, you know, um, being a doctor all those years and then 20-plus years being a winery owner, um, how do those two experiences compare? I've never really thought of uh, a comparison. I guess uh, they both have a similar pioneering nature to them. Uh, and, a, and, a, and an ability to to be a bit light on your feet and to improvise when you have to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was no infrastructure here in the uh, in the industry when we arrived, and and we had to sort of start from scratch. And uh, I guess it was a bit like that in Nepal as well. Yeah. Now we know you're passionate about wine, but when and uh, how did that passion actually come about? Uh, you touched upon being a member of those groups in Dunedin, but growing up, was wine ever something in your family? Or Yeah, well, it was. And um, my father was a doctor, and I remember they used to drink hock, which I, um, I think hock was Riesling. Mm-hmm. Uh, they called it hock, and they'd, they'd drink claret. Uh, which, you know, were coming in small amounts into Dunedin in those days. Yeah. Uh, we never tasted it much. They would have that at, you know, dinner parties occasionally. Um, but I suppose it was I was a final year med student uh, and spent my three-month elective at Blenheim Ho- at, in Wairau Hospital in Blenheim in 1974. 
just and, as things and, were and the starting first, in Melbourne. And the first vines had just been planted. The first Sauvignon Blanc had just been planted at that time. Yeah. So that was a real interest from, from then on, really. Mm. What other passions do you have, Jim? I've uh, enjoyed uh, piloting small aircraft um, for 51 or 52 years. Um, yeah, that's that's been a big one. I've always enjoyed the outdoors. I've always enjoyed uh, New Zealand's outdoors and, and hunting and, and tramping. Yeah, sounds lovely. I hope you've enjoyed our little chat. I certainly have. Uh, our time's sadly up. So, Jim, Jerem, thank you so very much for coming on the show to share your stories about Oslo wine with me and our listeners here on Fresh FM. Thank you for having me, Kirsten. Pleasure. The podcast you just listened to was a live recording of a radio show, first broadcast on Fresh FM, the Top of the South's community access media station, with support from New Zealand On Air. The funding of Access Media makes these podcasts possible. To find similar programs by other community access media stations, go online to accessmedia.nz.